it's not about what state of mind I am am in. It's not like I have to wait to be in a good state of mind to do things. It's like in the doing, I forget about what my state of mind is. It doesn't really matter anymore. And so it's just like, oh, it, that's pretty easy. Like even if I don't feel having the feeling state of alignment, if I know I, I want to do this and just do it, I'll forget about whatever else is going on. Welcome to episode 21 of the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Today's guest caught my eye on Facebook a few months ago through her delightful and often very funny, always very real and honest videos with her husband, Angus. Week after week, these guys are putting themselves out there, connecting with people via video and Facebook, and sharing their own experiences of living together, and their own insights and learnings about life and about each other. And as I said, they share in such a beautifully endearing, honest and real manner. Um, so I'm delighted to have the opportunity to get to know my guest a little better today and to hear more about her journey which includes spells living in London, Canada, and now in one of my most favorite parts of the world, California, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, she's had a successful international career as a model, uh, being a student at the University of Santa Monica, um, worked as a marriage and family therapist, and I believe, although I'm sure she'll tell me if I'm incorrect, but I think her current portfolio includes transformative coaching, being a published author, being on the faculty of the University of Santa Monica, blogging, some beautiful blogs, vlogging, as I said, with her husband, and running a group mastermind program. So there's a lot going on there, a beautiful, wonderful portfolio of service. So I'm very excited to offer a big, warm welcome today to Rohini Ross. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, and what an amazing introduction. <laughs> I'm so delighted to have you, actually. Really delighted. So, yeah, my usual first, my usual first question, because I, like I say, I know you run a psychotherapy practice and an international coaching and training practice. I wonder what brought you into this profession? Well, it's been quite a journey, and, you know, as as I was um, listening to you, I'm thinking, like, how far back do I want to start? But I think I am going to start quite far back. So when I was um, a child going through high school, I always knew, I was certain that I was going to be a doctor. I was just certain I was going to be a doctor. And so I went to university. I did my first um, year in pre-med classes, got straight A's. You know, I was on track. My second year... I fell apart and there's you know various I, I was in a car accident I wasn't seriously injured but it really shook me up and I thought I was gonna die even though I was fine but it and and I can attribute something to that but I think it was much greater than that I think I'd just been pushing myself really hard for a long time and I hit a wall and things just fell apart and when I um, talked to the Dean at school about it you know he seemed to think that I was quite capable of just, you know, shouldering on. He said, you, you've either got to just want it enough to go for it 
or you should just change what you're doing and do the classes that you like. And I knew based on how I was feeling that I couldn't push myself through. I, I was not in any shape to do that. And so my wisdom really guided me to just take classes that I wanted to do. So I ended up studying um, human geography and cultural geography. And I ended up going on to do a master's degree program in that and doing research in Guatemala and just following my interest in that area. But then when, you know, as life happens, when I um, was doing my master's program and doing research in Guatemala, I ended up getting uh, parasites. And so when I came back to Canada at the time, I wasn't getting better. And I was seeing the Western medical doctor and he said that I didn't have any more parasites, that they were gone. And, you know, it was kind of like it was all in my head. And I knew it wasn't in my head. I knew that I wasn't well. And so I started this journey into naturopathic medicine, started doing yoga, started doing meditation. So this is my early 20s. And it just opened up this world to me that I didn't know existed before. I just knew the Western medical model paradigm. And I was like, my goodness, there's a whole other world of healing that's available here. And so while I was doing my master's program, I had had the intent to go on and do my PhD, and I thought I'd end up you know, teaching at a university somewhere. But all of a sudden, my heart called me into the healing profession again, and I saw that it wasn't just about medicine, that there was so much more available to me. So as I was doing my master's, I realized that I didn't want to um, go on and do the PhD. At the same time, I, I forgot to mention, I was also doing some psychotherapy work because of, you know, just stuff that was coming up. And my therapist at the time asked me about my father. And I said to her, well, you know, I don't have any contact with my father. I haven't seen him, you know, since I was a young child. And I just brushed it off. And she was like, wait a second. <laughs> like, what? Tell me a little bit more here. What's going on there? And... It just opened up my eyes to, wait a second, maybe I do want to have contact with my father. Like, why have I never questioned that? And I think that out of my loyalty to my mother, I thought that that was a no-go area in my life. I thought that that was just somewhere that I just had to, you know, wasn't allowed to go there because it would mean that I was not being loyal to her and I never wanted to hurt her. And I all, you know, so out of out of that, um, I'd never questioned and looked in that direction. And so as a result of doing work with this therapist, she said, why don't you talk to your mother about this? And so at the age of probably, I don't know, 23, 24, I finally talked to my mom about what happened. Her, I didn't even know what happened. I had never even asked what happened to my dad. So it was so interesting how I had, um, you know, censored myself out of fear basically so we had this conversation I got to hear sort of what happened from her perspective and through that I realized like I wanted to you know contact him I wanted to connect with him it wasn't nearly as bad as you know I had imagined I, I mean I don't know what I thought I really didn't know what I thought but I thought it was terrible and it's like oh okay I think it's okay for me to reach out to him and I you know let her know and she was fine with that and so I decided after I would um, after I finished my master's program that I was going to move to London because that's where my dad was living and uh, is still living and um, and see if I could find him. And so 
uh, in the meantime, I'm doing my research in Guatemala, and I meet this woman who has a Guatemalan textile museum in London, and she offered, you know, I worked it out that I could work with her in exchange for a living, you know, in her flat in Chelsea, so it all worked out. So I was set to go to London, and, and, and right before this happened, so I think I probably went in July or August, but in probably February of that year, after I had everything set up, I was a student, so I used to get my hair cut for free at Vidal Sassoon because, you know, that was the best way to get a haircut for free. And in exchange, I had to agree to model for them. So I was just a student model, not modeling, but just doing that for free haircuts. And my hairdresser called me and said, you know, Rohini, we'd really like you to come in. We're doing a collection. I, you know, I want you to be in the collection. And I said, you know, I can't. There's no way I can do it. I'm writing my thesis. I've just, you know, I've just got to get this done. And he says, so, well, we have this photographer coming from London. I think you should really meet him. And that photographer is, of course, Angus. Yeah. And, and immediately I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come. Like I didn't even, you know, think about it. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So the Angus and I met then, and, and so we started to connect, and, and so independent of him, I was already moving to London where he lived. So it all sort of worked out in that regard too. So I went to London. I'm working in this Guatemalan textile museum and the fabric has this preservative in it because it's old textiles and I can't handle it. It's giving me headaches. Like I, I'm getting sick from the Guatemalan textiles. And on top of it, the woman who runs the museum, who I met in Guatemala, who seemed really lovely, well, it was a very different experience living downstairs from her in her basement flat in Chelsea. <laughs> this is before I had a whole lot of three principles understanding, or any three principles understanding, and she was driving me crazy, and it really looked like it was her. So I said to Angus, I said, you know, I can't do this. Like, it's making me sick. This woman is driving me crazy. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And in the meantime, I have contacted my dad's best friend my godmother knew my dad knows my dad's best friend or knew she's passed away knew my dad's best friend and she said well I can give you his um, number so you can see if you can contact your dad so I called him and he said I'm not <clears throat> I'm not gonna give you your dad's number to call him directly but I will tell him that you're trying to contact him and so I said okay fair enough and I never heard back so I gave the number out, and I didn't hear anything back. And so it's like, I've gone to London, try and find my dad. I've got a really direct communication there, and I'm not hearing anything back. The job that I'm in is not working out. And I'm like, Angus, I don't know what to do. And, um, and I knew that I didn't want to go on and do the PhD. And I knew that I wanted to go into a healing profession, a helping profession, a service profession, but I didn't know what that was going to be. It just wasn't clear to me at that point in time. And so I just needed to kind of figure, you know, do something until that got clear to me. And so Angus said to me, well, and I'm, I think I'm like 24 at the time. Yeah, I think I'm 24. And uh, he says, well, why don't you try modeling? And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm 24 years old. Like models start when they're 16. I don't think that's a good idea. And he said, well, let me just talk to, um, you know, this woman I know who owns store model management. Let me just talk to her and see what she says. And so he talked to her and she said, sure, you know, bring Rohini in. Let me meet her. So I get there and um, 
I get signed on immediately, much to my surprise. And not only that, I think it was a day or two later, there was an agent from Milan there wanting to, you know, see who, who wanted to go over and do the shows for the fall. And so I met this agent and they said, well, we'd like you to come right away. So within a couple of days of signing up for something that I never thought I would do, I ended up going and working for Giorgio Omani in Milan and just, you know, spending several months there working right away, making money and sort of being in a, like, a completely different life that I never imagined. Angus thought he was never going to see me again, but I did come back. <laughs> we did. Obviously, 23 years later, we're still together. So I spent probably, um, you know, two years in London and Europe, you know, just working as a model while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. It just sort of happened very organically. It, it was something that was um, lucrative. It wasn't, I think, going in, being in a relationship, being 24 years old. I was, you know, a vegetarian. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't party. Like, it was just not, it was interesting that I could be in that world, but I just wasn't in, interested in any of those aspects of it. And so it was fine in terms of my own personal well-being for the most part. And... Um, and then I thought, oh, I'm going to become an acupuncturist. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm signing up for program in that. And then I got this just clear, clear knowing, like, no, that's not it. I'm like, okay. And so then I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. to do modeling work. And I said to Angus, I said, why don't you just come with me and we'll go for a couple of months. You know, you can work on your portfolio. I'll, you know, do these jobs that they have. And, you know, it just sounds like fun. Why don't you just come with me? So... That's how we ended up in Los Angeles, and I loved it. I just, it's like the yoga, the meditation, the weather, the people. I just, at that time, wasn't that happy in London, and I go, I know that that's very outside in, but it just didn't feel right to me. And so I got here to LA, and I fell in love with it, and, and Angus was sort of a fish out of water for a long time. But what happened was um, the work kind of took off, and then Angus, ended up getting a whole bunch of work here too. So we just kept staying here. And then um, while I was here, I started to think like, well, what are the, what can I do here? Like what's, what, you know, what do I want to do next? And someone talked to me about the University of Santa Monica and they hadn't been there. And they told me all of these things that are not actually accurate about the University of Santa Monica. They said, oh, Deepak Chopra speaks there. And like, they just made up, I don't know where they, <laughs> ideas from but they said all this stuff but it was enough to be like oh I'm really interested in that and so I went to an information evening and I saw that they offered um, a degree in counseling psychology but from a spiritual perspective so it's a spiritual psychology MA but I could stay on and do the counseling psychology degree and I just knew in that moment like oh this is what I've been looking for this is what I want to do and so I tell Angus, I said, you know, maybe you should, you know, come to one of these info evenings with me because I don't know, it's like, it, I, I just, I just know I want to do it, but I don't really know how I know I want to do it. And he goes, well, I trust you. Like, you don't need me to come there. I'm like, but, but it's just like, I just know and he's fine, fine, just do it. So I, I sign up and I do their, um, their master's degree program. And the plan is to go on and do the counseling psychology degree. And at, this is about sort of, I finished the first part of the MA program and Angus is hitting 40 around this time and he says, you know, we really probably should start thinking about having a family. 
And I'm like, oh, I guess maybe we should. I don't know. It just it hadn't really been on my mind, but it was definitely something that we both wanted. And so immediately that we sort of start thinking about it, it like bam happens. So in the middle of this program, I'm, we're now having our first child. And so it's like, I, you know, I'm not doing the program while that's all happening. And about sort of, I was, you know, staying home looking after our daughter. I was still modeling at the time and it wasn't until I had our first daughter that I actually stopped. So that was like well into, it's like 32 or something like that. So I knew I didn't want to keep traveling anymore. I knew that that just wasn't going to work with having a baby for me. And so I stopped. I took the pause on that. I took the pause on the counseling psychology degree. And about, you know, when our daughter was about 18 months old, I'm like, Angus, we don't have any money. <laughs> like, what's happening here? And it was just, it was hard. It was really financially challenging. And I can't remember exactly, but I know that the whole digital photography thing was happening. And Angus's career sort of took a, a turn that was not um, easy for him at that time. I stopped modeling. I didn't have another job that I was doing. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And... You know, I think that I just got scared. Like, I, and I look back at that, this and I go like, I mean, it's like we all do the best that we can in the moment. But I just could not handle having a baby and not knowing if we were going to be able to pay the rent the next month. Like that just, like I could have maybe done that if it was just the two of us and maybe we could have lived in our car. Like I would have had a lot more adventurous spirit if it was just the two of us. But with a baby, I was like, no way, we can't do this. And so I decided that I was going to get a job. And I got an administrative job at the University of Santa Monica. But their caveat at the time, and I, I, you know, I don't know, they've stopped that program now, but was that you could not be enrolled in the counseling psychology program and work for them. So I dropped out of the program because I wanted the job. And that gave us some stability. And but I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do in a long term way. But that was just sort of, um, you know, what made sense at the time. And so I also knew because I grew up as an only child that I didn't want to just have one child, not that there's anything wrong with it. But I wanted to have the experience of having more than one child because I didn't get to have that when I was growing up. And so, you know, at this time I'm getting to 34 and I'm like, you know, if we're going to have another child, my age, I don't want to be, you know, waiting around and then not being able to do it. So again, Angus and I have the conversation. I get him at a moment where he's in a good mood and he says, yes, and then bam, <laughs> it happens again. And I think what I'm like, oh, I'm pregnant again. He's like, what, what? <laughs> Did I really say yes? So anyway, so we have our second daughter. I'm still working at the University of Santa Monica and have a full-time job and in California you're given three months maternity leave that's paid for and they'll hold your job for three months and after that they do not hold your job and things were not sort of in a place where I felt comfortable not having that job so it felt like it was going against every fiber in my being but I went back to work and Angus was actually the primary caretaker at home at that point with the girls. And I had so much resentment. Mm-hmm. I was so um, so unhappy about that. And, and so also because of wanting to show up as a mom and doing my best, 
It's like I was working all day, pumping milk during the day for the next day. And then, because um, being with our youngest, the baby, she wanted to nurse at night. So I was like nursing most of the night to try and, you know, I just wanted to have that time. And so I was just burning the candle at both ends. My mood dropped, you know, I was just in a very bad way. I also um, got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease at the time, um, thyroid issue, which you know, was really kicking my ass basically at that time too. So it was just a very difficult time. And the gap between Angus and I, you know, that was our darkest moments. And that was when um, I actually ended up falling in love. I don't, I don't, I can't say falling in love, but I ended up being attracted to another man. And that kind of just was like a shock wave in our relationship. And so in a sense, it, was a wake-up call as to how bad things were and just how unhappy I was and it wasn't like I was trying to have that happen it just was like oh my god this is not working and this is a symptom of it not working <clears throat> and so we then um, basically you know we were separated for a period of time but we both got really clear about what what we wanted and ultimately we realized that we both wanted to be together and we both wanted to have a family together and but we knew that it wasn't working the job that I was doing I wasn't on my path um, it just the way that it was set up wasn't um, in alignment and so through all of those bumps we did end up you know really recommitting to each other in a much more profound deep way and I was able to be really honest. I think that, you know, as much as I was resentful towards Angus, I was not really being honest with myself. I wasn't really being honest with him about how unhappy I was, how I was not um, willing to do that. And I was really afraid, I think, financially about, you know, what are we going to do? Like, I just didn't think it was an option. I wasn't open to those possibilities of something different. And so I got more open. I started working with Steve Chandler at the time. So that was my first foray into having a coach myself. And through various things, I ended up going back into the counseling psychology program. And we didn't, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, but you know, it all worked out. So I ended up getting my um, counseling psychology degree. I ended up working in the field. I got a, an amazing paid job as an intern, which is really unheard of. And so life is good at this point. You know, Angus and I are doing well. We're both making money. Life is getting much better. And the job that I have is, is one of those jobs where I was working with families in crisis. And they were, the way that it was set up is they were able to contact me pretty much willy-nilly whenever they wanted to. And so I'm doing this job that I've wanted to do for so long. And I'm not into it for very long. And I'm feeling burnt out. I'm feeling like, I don't know that I can keep doing this. <laughs> this is, what am I doing here? And a lot of the friends that I have went to the University of Santa Monica and they're doing coaching. And I'm hearing about their work in coaching and how, you know, the fees that they're charging their clients and, and what they're doing. I'm thinking, wow, coaching sounds like maybe that would be a better fit for me. Maybe that's something that I'm going to not get um, burnt out from because, again, I didn't understand that the burnout was coming from my relationship my, with my thoughts at the time. I thought it was coming from the job that I was doing. That's not work to me. But then I decided, okay, well, I'm going to go and do a coach program. 
And I had talked with um, Steve Hardison a while back about coaching and just, you know, had a conversation with him. And then I got an email from him out of the blue um, recommending Michael Neal's Super Coach Academy. And I'm like, oh, well, if Steve Hardison's recommending it, and Steve Chandler was one of the faculty that time. So this is before Michael really transitioned to a, a three principles based coaching program. So um, he had different speakers each month um, and different coaching modalities. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get trained as a coach. So I go sign up for Super Coach. I do the program. And there's one weekend in there where George and Linda Prance here are speaking. And they're talking about the three principles. And I'm really impacted by that weekend. And I really don't know why I'm impacted by that weekend. I can't put my finger on it. But I know that that is something that I want to learn more about. And so I talked to Michael about it. And he was offering, um, you know, extra work after Supercoach. So I ended up working with him after Supercoach one-on-one and really deepening in the understanding of the principles. And, and you know, I realized this isn't just about coaching. This is about life. This applies to my therapy clients as much as it's going to apply to coaching clients. This is an understanding that's transformative wherever it gets applied. And so through that, I, you know, and I had started working with some coaching clients in addition to my therapy clients. I was basically working for a company. Um, I ended up, the company that I started off working with, I ended up being um, in a leadership position in the company because things really changed very quickly and they scrambled and three of us stepped forward to be the leadership team for the company. So, you know, all of the work that I'd done in terms of understanding about coaching really helped me to be a good leader in that company. But I always kept some time so that I could build my practice. Like I didn't want to give that up. And so I had my practice while I was, you know, working three quarter time at the company and I negotiated that with them. And I started to see that the more I understood about the three principles and the more I saw, the greater service I could be. And so then I ended up, um, I decided to sign up for the mentorship program <clears throat> with the Pranskys. And through, you know, having that intensive experience, being able to bring up clients there to work with them together, I got it, I just opened up to a, a really different vision for myself. And I saw at that time that, oh, the reason that I'm feeling burnt out has got nothing to do with the job that I'm doing. It's got to do with all the pressure that I'm putting on myself inside of myself. It's got to do with me not listening to my inner wisdom and being driven by the voice of fear inside of myself, being driven by the, I have to work hard or else, I don't know what, the world is going to end, something, some crazy kind of thinking inside of me that I, and I, you know, I'd had that thinking all along. That's what happened in my second year university where I crashed and burned. I couldn't maintain that level of pace and be okay. So I was heading towards that crash and burn until I saw that, oh, wait a second, this is coming from inside of me and I don't have to do this to myself. And so that just opened up a whole sort of different view of what uh, life could be like, what my business could be like. And then I knew like, oh, I really want to, you know, be my own, have my own business. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to keep working for a company. I really want to just go and do this full time, the work that I'm doing. But even with that, 
like as soon as I got the inspiration, I knew that, that I was right. I started to put pressure on myself like, oh, well, that means I need to do it right away. Oh, okay. That means that, you know, like, oh, well, if I'm not doing that, that means that I'm um, a wimp, that I'm, you know, I'm being too cautious. I should just, you know, do it. And I think it was actually in a conversation with Michael who said, Rahini, you know, maybe it's just that the time's not right. Like, what if it's just not the right time? And when it is the right time, you'll know. And so that was what allowed me to relax. I was still letting my business grow very organically without putting um, a lot of effort into it because I didn't have a lot of time. But it was growing. It was just naturally growing. I was getting referrals. People were wanting to talk to me. And what happened was I just got to that tipping point where it was really clear to me, okay, it's time to leave. I can't do both anymore. It's really time to go. And at that point, and, and it was funny because I think probably a year and a half before that, I had resigned from my job. I'd given him my notice. And, and in the conversations, I managed to you know be convinced to come back on board. And I remember thinking, like, you know, what's wrong with me? But really, it just wasn't the right time. Hmm. And when it was the right time, I had the conversations with the people I needed to talk to. Everybody understood. We created an exit plan. Everybody was happy. It worked out to the benefit of the company because we, we'd been really working hard towards a sale, and that was in negotiations. So me not being there actually made it a sweeter deal for everybody. So it's like it was perfect. And I had the momentum in my business already, so it was a very graceful transition. It wasn't something where I was feeling like I was, you know, really having to, you know, be under duress financially. It, it just worked very nicely. And so that's my journey into coaching. Beautiful. <laughs> long, long drawn out. Wow, it's beautiful. Um, you felt this burning desire that there was something and you didn't know what it was but it was it was it's always been there and yet you continue to i think i guess go with the flow of life so i'm curious to what extent you it, it, i mean it's, i'm listening to you i was kind of making an assumption i want to check whether that was the case were you just still open to that like revealing itself you mean during the time was i open to it yeah I think that, I mean, I, I would say that it was, there were times where I was open and there were times where I was really stubborn and not open. But I think what what I was good about doing was, well, maybe it wasn't even good about doing is like I kind of hit some walls where I didn't have a choice. Like when I, with medical school, like it, even though the dean was saying, yeah, you could do this, I was like, no, I can't do this. It was not a choice for me to keep going in that direction. And so I just knew like, you know, I need to change course. And I was open to, you know, well, what else? What else is there? And I think that that's something that I have been willing, like, if someone had told me while I was doing my master's, that was, um, you know, a feminist perspective in cultural geography that I would end up modeling, you know, in a couple years time, I'd be like, no, no, that's not going to happen. But it's, it's like, I just knew that that was the right thing to do. And I could have tried to talk myself out of it for many, many reasons, but I just knew that that was the common sense thing to do and to allow myself to see if I could have a voice in that world. I tried writing as well to sort of 
provide another side. So, you know, I, I tried to do my part. It didn't go very well at the time, but I did try to show another side to the business and to the humanity within that business. So I think that you're right. There was an openness, but there was also sometimes it was a pretty loud banging that had to get me to wake up to, you know, not, not this way. So, so once you become clear that coaching was mm -hmm. where you were going, I'm curious, how did you, or did it kind of build itself, start to build a practice as you yeah, moved I, in that direction? Yeah, I was, I was very um, fortunate, I think, in that regard because I, I think I created my website two years ago. So for the first, you know, for the a very long time, I just only had word of mouth referrals, and. I was fortunate in that regard that people would hear, you know, about the work that I was doing and then they would contact me. So it was, and it was, it was a practice that I had young children at the time, you know, it wasn't something that I was like trying to take over the world. I was really um, enjoying the balance in my life, especially after leaving that job. I, I thought that, oh, I'm going to leave my corporate job that, you know, is taking up three quarters of the time related to business and I'm going to then just, you know, have 100% of my time available, what am I going to do with that? And I was like exhausted. <laughs> I didn't want to do anything for about a year maybe. Like it wasn't that I wasn't working, but I wasn't really inspired to do a lot more. I was really needing, and it was also a time where I was really deepening in my understanding of the principles. So I think that there was a big shift going on in terms of how do I even work with clients anymore? Even though I was working from a spiritual perspective, I had still been having people manage their thinking. I had still been using techniques. Like I, I was having to see like, wait a second, I don't want to do any of that anymore. What is that going to look like? And I think for me, I needed to experience that first as much as I could inwardly myself before I could share it with anyone else in an effective way. And it doesn't mean that I didn't try and it doesn't mean that I probably wasn't very good at sharing it with people. But it was like that was happening at the same time as I was letting go of that job. And so I just had a period where I was just getting quiet and getting used to not being in the um, pressure and letting my thinking settle and learning that a quiet mind isn't a boring life, that getting, allowing myself to just follow inspired ideas rather than every good idea that came into my head like that was a big shift for me because I am a doer and I am a very hard worker and that's not something that I don't think that's a bad thing but I just wasn't discerning and where I was putting that energy and so I was like you know just going so fast and so I really learned to slow down I learned the benefit of noticing the difference in the feeling in an inspired idea and to be able to wait and be in the not knowing. And and my business really just sort of organically unfolded from that. And the reason that I got a website was actually nothing to do with my coaching practice. I'd started writing for the Huffington Post. And so I was doing my, my um, writing for them. But I couldn't track any of the analytics. They don't give me that access in the way that it's set up. 
And I'm like, well, I want to know who's reading my stuff. I want to know where this is going. Like, who, who are these people? And so that's why I decided to have a website because I wanted to have a platform to get my writing out into the world that I could understand and start having a relationship with these people that are reading my work. And so that was what was behind it all. And then I realized, well, oh, okay, so I can put my services on there too. And so it just, it just like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. And it was, I think there's no one way. It, I listened to what was right for me. I'm not saying don't have a website and then get away. Like, I'm not saying do anything the way that I did it. But I really was able to listen to what made sense and go at a pace that made sense to me. I was able to take care of myself physically, so I was, you know, felt recuperated. And then when I gave that to myself, it's like then inspiration started to come back in. Like I think my writing, can't remember how the timing of when my write, but you know, I really made a commitment to writing and was able to follow through on that. And I had the inspired energy behind it. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't something that I should do. It's just like, oh, I'm ready to do this now. And, and it was because of having the understanding and the principles that just simplified everything for me. It just made things so clear how people can have a transformative experience, whether it's related to more success in their business, whether it's related to having um, greater experience of well-being, whether it's about having more love and intimacy and connection in the relationship, whether it's working with a company, helping them with their sales team, improve their sales. Like I just saw the universality of what made sense to me in terms of people being able to tap into that infinite potential of who they are, but without having a lot of different things that allows them to do that, just simply through understanding how their mind works, that they have that inside of them, people naturally are able to do it. So it just made it very easy to then see how I can create programs in that way, how I can go in and talk with a company and say, this is what I have to offer and this is how I think it can help you. Are you interested? It, it, before that, it wasn't clear to me. So I'm loving that by the way, Rainy, because um, it's like there's a bit of me that's thinking, yeah, yeah, but what did you actually do? What actual action did you take? And of course, that's not really relevant or that, you know, might be of interest. But what you're really saying, and right all through this, the theme of this conversation seems to have been really listening to know, and listening and knowing what is right for you and being willing to follow that. You know, there's a, a beautiful line. I, I made a note of it. Um, in in your latest blog actually which I loved you said all of the effort I put into learning from other people how they did it was effort what I was not putting into doing the task at hand and the learning is in the doing so I loved that I loved mm. that but I'm going to ask you the classic question given what you know now and the understanding that you have what might have you have done differently that would have made it all a little bit easier and perhaps more enjoyable? Well, I think, and this isn't really specifically to coaching, but what I see now that I didn't see is that throughout my whole life, like even from when I was, you know, a young child in school, I didn't need to put my 
put pressure on myself and that that was something that I thought I needed to do in order to be good enough. You know, like that was just something that I thought I earned my value in the world. And there was some really, you know, there were some things that I was really good at that made it look like that was real to me. You know, if I worked hard enough and I got the results I wanted, then, oh, I feel good. But it's, it's, a, it's a dead end and it doesn't, it's not a sustainable way to live life and it's not as enjoyable as really understanding that value is innate. It does not need to be earned and that hard work, see, it's, I enjoy doing, but to me that's different than hard work. So I, I, I love doing lots of things. But that's different than me doing it from a place of I have to work hard and pushing myself. That feels completely different. So people could say, wow, you work really hard, Rohini, now. Like, you know, look at what you're doing. All these things you're up to, you're working really hard. And, and it's not like I'm not doing things. I am. But I don't feel like I'm working hard. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, there's a difference. We often hear, you know, in these circles, effortless. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there is effort that we put right. in but uh, uh, so I like to think of things being rather than effortless easeful mm -hmm. where there is like a natural ease so yeah exactly what you're saying that this of course there's stuff to do but it, there is like this I think when we're in alignment for want of a better term when we're in alignment there's an ease to to whatever we're doing yeah and I think in alignment what what I see is that it's it's whenever it starts to get hard it's more of a reflection of me just getting you know bogged down in my own thinking and really nothing to do with the task at hand because when i'm in a clear place it's probably just really easy to do but then i got even the clarity that it's not about what state of mind I am am in. It's not like I have to wait to be in a good state of mind to do things. It's like in the doing, I forget about what my state of mind is. It doesn't really matter anymore. And so it's just like, oh, it, that's pretty easy. Like even if I don't feel having the feeling state of alignment, if I know I, I want to do this and just do it, I'll forget about whatever else is going on. Such an important point. Yeah, beautiful. You mentioned about working with Steve Chandler. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering what kind of client are you? What kind of client? <laughs> you want to ask what kind of client I was for Steve Chandler? I was a crazy client for Steve Chandler. <laughs> God bless him. So um, I think in terms of a general client, I think I am very open and willing to learn. I'm very vulnerable. I take feedback. So I think I'm very good client in that way at that time however and he you know his big distinction was moving out of victim you know mm -hmm. uh, owner versus victim and I was totally in victim <laughs> thinking at that point in time but I was open and I don't know what he would say but um, it was really difficult for me to see that I was in it and I know that he clearly was trying to give me feedback related to that and that was also at the time where things were falling apart with anger like I think he thought I was a complete mess but and I probably was at the time but um, you know I, I still got so much value from being able to 
just see that there, like I just started to get glimpses that how I was seeing things was not the only way to see things. Like I just, that it started to look a little bit more like an illusion and through working with him, you know, that got a lot more clear to me. And I can think of some people that I've had potential like conversations with, you know, but then potentially being clients. And I guess we've probably come across people that just really want to cling on to their, their own beliefs, current beliefs and thinking, um, you know, very, very hard. And, and I often wonder, well, why would you even consider the possibility of coaching unless you're open to thinking differently? That's a good, that's a good point. point. And I think that if people are, if they're asking for coaching, even if they're not realizing, they just might not be realizing what they're signed up for. <laughs> good to be clear. <laughs> How did the videos at Angus come about? So how did the vlogs come about? I, so we, I, I think, I'm sure it was my idea. <laughs> I don't think he would come up with that <laughs> idea. So we're, we're wanting, you know, we're working with couples together because he's now coaching. And I, I just wanted a way to share some of the things that we had learned you know, as a way to, to be of service, basically, to to just, I realized, like, you know, there's lots of little snippets that we could put out there. And I think that I had been working with um, someone who's working on my website, and she had recommended, you know, videos was a good way. And I was like, I don't want to do videos by myself. That just doesn't sound like fun to me. So then I thought, oh, it would be really fun to do them with Angus. That would, I would, I'd be open to doing that. And so somehow I managed to conjole him into doing it. And um, he obviously on some level thought it was a good idea. And so at first we started doing them in a very kind of more studio setup way, where it's like a black background and just sitting down. And and then we went up to, um, and, I, and I said to him, I said, we need to be consistent with these. It's important to be consistent. And that's kind of my thing. Like, I'm very good at being consistent. And Angus is like, he's more the creative. And like, if he feels like doing it, he will. And if he doesn't, he won't. But I'm like, no, I want to do these in a consistent way. So we're up in the corner at the professional training. And I said, you know, let's, you know, we need to do our video. And he goes like, ah, I just want to do the video. And so then we ended up having a fight about doing the vlog. And so to me, that was really the, the, the start of the real vlog, is we did the vlog up in Laconner outside with wind blowing everywhere, basically talking about how we'd had a fight about doing the vlog. And I just saw, like, you know, this is real. This is not, like, what you're talking about, the sugar coating. This is just, like, life. And this is real relationship. And this is what happens in real relationship. We can talk about that. And so for me, that's what makes it interesting is that it's not sort of we have a great relationship and this is why. It's like, hey, this is what our relationship looks like and maybe this might be helpful to you. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and I, I know I've spoken to several people as well. And yeah, it's just they, they are certainly of service. Very cute, very beautiful. Often, like I say, very funny, but also of service so thank oh, you well, thank good. you oh you're welcome thank you i'm glad it's good to, it's nice to know it's been a beautiful conversation and it's been somewhat different to what i expected actually but what you've demonstrated and illustrated following that inner that inner knowing um that's been beautiful i wonder then if you had because i know some of the people that listen to this are perhaps coaches that are starting out or looking to build their business more if you had all of those coaches in a room, 
for a two minute <laughs> for a two minute message what might what might that be be of service just listen to what you're called to do inside and to be of service and do that yeah beautiful beautiful time has absolutely flown by Rohi so thank you so much it's been a beautiful conversation I thoroughly enjoyed it no you're welcome thank you for having me thank you what a lovely experience that was listening to Rohini share her journey and you know it's funny I noticed my own thinking at times wondering yes but what did you actually do you know so often we're looking for strategies and methods and of course that's not so relevant as Rohini's message be of service listen to what you're called to do inside and do that and there really isn't much I can add to that because if you follow that you will always know what to do I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have and if you have you can help get this podcast and the wisdom of these guests into the ears of more coaches by leaving a review on iTunes it will take you less than a minute and it makes a huge difference to getting this out into a wider audience once again thank you for listening I'm looking forward to next time go and have fun listen to your inner wisdom to your heart to your knowing I wish you much love and joy and joy